The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then to his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish into baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, when the lockdown hit in March, you know, it was, it was troublesome, creating a, a different world, but it didn't bother us too much because we're homebodies anyways, so it was kind of like, okay, and actually some good came out of it. We had quite a few family meals at the table. We look forward to Takeout Tuesday, which was something that we started in, in my previous parish to try and help our local businesses stay in business because restaurants were, were closed. We had a lot of time to talk with our kids, but then come mid-April, after trying to do ministry in this whole COVID world, including Holy Week, and my wife working as an infection control nurse at a nursing home and, and, and having to prepare meal after meal and all these things, I never realized that a restaurant was a Sabbath for me, a rest for me. You see, my, my dad and I are alike. We're the, we're the same. Not, not only are we pastors, but we're also cooks and, and, and shoppers. We're the, we're the cooks in the family. We stock the pantry. We stock the refrigerator. We, we make the meals. And so I learned over this time, as we got into April, how tired my dad must have been when I was growing up, when he was doing ministry in the church, plus working as a teacher, plus parenting. And so by mid-May, my wife and I, we were begging for a restaurant, especially a patio, because after winter, we here in Minnesota, we, we love eating outside, don't we? And so we were just waiting for the chance to be able to eat in a restaurant. We wanted to be able to sit down and to have someone serve us. And so the day our local opened up, Iron Horse and Nevis, we were there for lunch on the patio. And it was wonderful. To be able to sit down and have someone bring us a meal, yes, we paid for it, but it, we had a chance to rest, to not have to make a meal, not have to go shopping, not have to go and get takeout and bring it home. N none of those things. We got to sit down and rest. That probably sounds selfish. I don't know. 
But this morning, what I want to do is I want to do the same for you. I'm going to give you a gift, the, the, the gift of the gospel of Christ, which is a gift of rest to us, a gift away from all the doing, all the earning, all the working, because the kingdom of heaven is not something that is taken, it's not something that is earned or worked for, but it's a gift, it is given. I, w- I will fold in the story of Jacob by way of Leah into this, but be patient with me there, because that might take a little bit. But first, what we have to understand is that the gospel is a thief. It comes and it robs us. It steals from us every desire we have to be able to fulfill the law, to the, the demands, the, the, the doing. And it, and it comes and it grants us rest through God's decision for us. Even in the midst of all our attempts to do so much, all our attempts to try and be the A-list actor in our own story, God comes in his gospel and he's the one who acts. He is the actor. It's his name in lights outside the theater and all because of his decision that he's made about you. Jacob forgets this. He's a doer. He wants, to, he wants to do the promise of God upon himself. That's how he got himself in trouble, if you remember his story. He, he, he cheats his own brother out of the inheritance, thinking, uh, with the help of his mom, if I do this, the, the promise is mine. And in the midst of all that, he loses everything. Finds himself alone. All he has to his name is a stone for a pillow. Yet God's promise remains. God continues to still work. He, he actually turns all of Jacob's doing all throughout his life upside down to show that it's God's work in him, upon him, uh, upon you, upon me, uh, and not our own, not yours, not mine. So this morning, Christ uses these illustrations of, this, of, of these parables, this whole collection of parables, which is actually a bad sermon because it's a bunch of illustrations with, with, with very little explanation but the the struggle that that we have with these parables is that he hands them to us and we always want to find who we are in the story that that's always the goal and usually we we peg ourselves on to being the actors especially if there's a humanoid in the story we we see ourselves at that be as that because we're humans we we want to be front of the stage And I wonder if that's because we have no problem really loving others. We're actually okay with that. We have people that we love and we we go out of our way to take care of them. But I wonder how many of us are really bad at being loved. Being those who who sit down, given rest, and are loved upon. And so in these parables, we're going to see that that is actually Christ's work to bring confusion into our midst. Using his parables to turn our worlds upside down that he might hand us the kingdom. He starts by saying that kingdom is like a mustard seed. And we often look at that parable and we think, well, I'm I'm the man and I'm supposed to go out and I'm supposed to plant the seed of the kingdom as though I'm able to wield the kingdom of God. But that's not the case, because remember, in the gospel, in God's kingdom, God is the actor, not us. And so we look at the parable and we have to see who is the actor and who is the one being acted upon. Well, we're not the seed because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It's the man is God who does the planting and that leaves only the dirt, us. We becoming the receptacle of the kingdom of God where he actively plants his kingdom inside of us to grant us life, to have life grow within us, not because of us, 
but to be placed within us because we need it. Otherwise, we're just there. It's there to, to grow in us. It's not something that we bring to earth. It's something that God brings to us. Secondly, he likes to talk about it as yeast, leaven. Again, we're struck with this issue of we're not the actors here. And so God becomes the baker. He becomes the woman who's making quite a lot of bread. She's got a full-scale bakery going on. And he says that the yeast is the kingdom, and all that leaves then is for the flour. That's us. That's you. This flour that, if left by itself on the counter, really not do much, but then yeast is taken and, and folded into it, dissolved in the water and, 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 and made into a dough. What happens when that happens, church? That yeast is a living thing. It's folded into that dough and breath is breathed into that flour because the yeast starts giving off the carbon dioxide. That's what makes the bread rise. Life being folded into us. It's a wonderful picture to be able to explain what Jesus means when he says that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly because we discover that without Christ, without God's kingdom working in us, we don't have life. That's actually one of the good things that has come from this virus. It's stripped away all these imitations, all these things that we thought gave us life. It's, it's removed from us how we thought we were giving ourselves immortality, and it actually leaves us with understanding ourselves as frail, as small, as mortal. And that God comes to breathe his life into us. I have a friend who works at a thrift shop and has said they've had more donations than ever. People stripping away all the things that have become meaningless. That is the work of the kingdom in us. That that might be the source of life, God, Christ in you. Next, Jesus talks about treasure and pearls. This is one of those awkward ones because it talks about the treasure being the kingdom. Now remember the actor here, this is the man, so it's not us. So who does it leave for us to be but the field and the man being Christ, God, coming and finding the kingdom in the midst of us, in the midst of the world. And what does he do? But he hides it in us. He leaves it there with us, this waiting moment that he might go and sell everything. Well, what is that selling of everything but the cross? He giving of himself, all of himself for you that he might purchase the world. We hear this in 1 Peter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And again, Luther speaks to us in the small catechism when he talks about the second article. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent sufferings and death. There in the midst of finding that treasure, finding that pearl, in the world of you, in the world of me, he gives of himself to buy you, that you might be his. And finally, we have the net. 
This is a drag net. It's one of those things that you put the net down and you just go, and whatever you get, you get. Our translations fail us, though, because they assume that it's talking about fish, but the Greek actually just says all sorts of things. So we're not just talking about fish. We're, we're talking about everything from good fish and bad fish to, to, to squid to turtles, maybe even some dolphins, some dirty diapers, some age-old bottles, all sorts of garbage and refuse that has been left in the sea. The kingdom being that net, he says, the fisherman being God and you. Well, it talks about God's decision here of you. His deciding about you, his electing action over you. That is another place that our translations fail us because the words used there don't talk about good and evil. They don't talk about righteous and wicked. They talk about beautiful and useful versus unusable. And God makes the decision just like you going to a garage sale, going to a swap meet, going antiquing. What was one time someone else's garbage is now your treasure. And that is the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God works. He making a decision about you and choosing you as he is the beholder and what is precious in his, in his eyes is pleasing to him. Well, if we return to Jacob really quick, he's the recipient of the promise. And if we dig deeper into the story of him with, with the, this days of our lives time, this general hospital time that we have with Leah and Rachel, more specifically dealing with the promise that he's thinking of when he enters into this life in the midst of Rachel, is he, he remembers God's word of, your children will be like the dust of the earth. So he thinks, I'm going to have great kids. I'm going to have lots of kids. I need a great woman. And he sees Rachel. Never mind that she's his cousin. But the scriptures tell us that she was the full package. She was hot. She was grace-filled, beautiful, I guess good birthing hips. I don't know. But then Leah is talked about as having lovely eyes. Even more so, that Hebrew can also mean tender, weak, infirm, frail, sickly. In other words, at best, the way the Hebrew describes her if someone were to ask, well, tell us about Leah, they would say, well, she's got great eyes. And we read the story, and what we see is Jacob, the cheater, being cheated. We see Laban as the cheater, and Jacob, the one sinned upon. And we see Leah as the patsy, and Rachel as the bystander. We, we don't even think about the working of God in the midst of this. That God's promise is working in the midst of these decisions made by mortal sinners. Because we always think that God works to give us our heart's desire, never mind the fact that it's our heart's desire that usually fails us, usually gets us in trouble. God always works with and through sinners because it's all he has. And so God comes to Jacob and says, no, I'm going to give you Leah first. Just wait. And so Leah marries Jacob. A week later, Rachel gets married to Jacob too, and yet God works mysteriously in the life of Leah, and he, she's unwanted. She's not exactly loved by Jacob, and yet God makes her fruitful, turning Jacob's decision upside down. And there you see God's hands at work in his electing work. Leah was pleasing in his eyes, whom Jacob rejected, God selected 
And the amazing thing is that this is very important. Leah is actually more important for the promise of God than Rachel, than Jacob even in some respects. Because it was God's electing action through deception even that God does an amazing work to give you Christ through Leah. Because it was through Leah's line that, that, that Levi is born, the, the, the father of the priesthood. And it's through Leah that Judah is born, the father of the kings. And it's through the tribe of Judah that Jesus comes. Your Christ, your Savior coming through Leah, through the one that many would have rejected. But God said no. Luther is the one who gives us this passage, which I love, God's love does not seek, but creates that which is pleasing to it. And that was what God was doing in the midst of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Leah was pleasing to God. He used her as the fruit of the promise. And so was Rachel. And so was Jacob, even in the midst of all his flaws, the liar, the cheat, the bad husband, the bad father. God's word came to Jacob and said, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, not by you, not because of you, but actually in spite of you. Because it was through God's electing work, using the small, the insignificant, the flotsam and jetsam of the world, he uses that for his kingdom. Because it's not about you and it's not about me, it's not about our great qualities, but it's about him turning whatever it is that we do into work for his kingdom. The kingdom coming is God's action upon you. So, so we as the dirt, we as the, the flower, we, we as the field, we as the eel pout of the bycatch, we receive from him what is pleasing to him. Just as one sitting in a restaurant receives a meal and is nourished, so too the kingdom comes to us in that way. Because we all know if it were left up to us, we'd make a hash of it. So we're grateful that it's not, that it's up to him. And with that, we say thanks be to God. Amen.